Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Kimberly's Intentional Moment is brought to you by the Seika Network on Blog Talk Radio. Morgen, guten Tag, guten Abend, und gute Nacht across the globe. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thank you for joining me today on this happy fall day, and I just want to wish you all a happy fall. <clears throat> it's very weird here in the Pacific Northwest to go from what feels so sunny and warm and it's light out for so long during the day and then all of a sudden it feels dark all the time and it's rainy and kind of gloomy at first. It's also snuggly and cozy, but it takes me a little time to kind of shift into that. I want to introduce once again uh, Salvatore Zambito to the show. Hey, Salvatore, how are you? Hey, I feel fabulous, darling. How are you? I am I'm also fabulous. It is a it actually is a quite a beautiful morning. I don't know what it's like over there in swim, but we're I'm looking That's at great. some sun and a little bit of blue sky. It's yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show today. What I'd like to do first is um ask my listeners, which is some the practice we are getting into here. I just want to ask my listeners, how are you? So just take a moment. Take a few deep, complete breaths, and check in being honest with how you're feeling, what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind. And now you know where you are now. So let's recap last week. Last week we talked about what do you do when you don't know what to do. We were talking about being in that overwhelming place, not the ebb and flow of life or the day-to-day life ebb and flows, but the when it feels like the poo is hitting the fan, everything's crashing down around you. When it rains, it pours, or I brought up Ross from Friends says, why do bad things happen to good people? We can relate to this, and we've been there, and I know a lot of people are going through that presently. Uh, in the last month, I've been talking to, getting emails from folks that are feeling, you know, so overwhelmed that they can't move. They feel as though they're experiencing depression and then and aches and pains in their body. And it, w- it, w- it was a really good show because it, I think we need to talk more about what is uncomfortable and not just say, oh, breathe, it'll be okay. Actually say, hey, you know, right now I feel this way. This is what's going on for me. It, and it has comes back to that truthfulness or honesty and being honest with ourselves about how we're really feeling so that we know what's happening in our mind, what might be clouding some of our decisions. And so this week um, we're going to talk about when you, the opposites, or what did you call it earlier? We were, we were talking about doing the show together, Salvatore, and you said the pairs of opposites. The pairs of opposites. The pairs of opposites. The pairs of we opposites. Yeah, we do need to define that. So what I think, let's start there. 
Will you define that for me, what you mean by that, Salvatore? Certainly. One of the foundational concepts in yoga and all of the uh, fields of practice that came off of that, I include Buddhism in that, all of the fields of Buddhism, the Sufis, all have a set of understandings about what is called the pairs of opposites. This is in the English-speaking world. We would refer to it as the various levels of conflict. What you've been describing to some extent are the conflicts that we have inside of ourselves. What Paul yeah. in the Bible said, you know, the good that I would do, I do not. What is, what is it with me? Then we project that outward. And we have pairs of opposite conflicts with other people. Families, you know, we, we have a fantasy about you know, the peaceful family. Families are, by and large, a field where we learn to deal with the pairs of opposites working with other people. So we have to deal with our internal conflicts, which to some extent, but not, I don't, I'm not going to say all the conflict in anybody's life is a projection, to some extent. We deal with yeah. conflict in our families. Right now, if you pick up any kind of a media, whether the old newspaper or going into so, uh, the various kinds of online news sources, I would say that, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say 90% of the news is about conflict. If we go into television, literature, literature is all about conflict. Uh, there's a movie director, Knight Shamayan. He did uh, mm -hmm. Sense and The Village. And he made a statement yep. that I found very interesting. He said, all literature is and has to be based on conflict. Nobody is going to go to a movie titled The Knight's Village Full of Peaceful People. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but it's true. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. A, a woman, uh, Marilyn Ferguson, she wrote a book called The Aquarian Conspiracy, and she quoted a friend of hers who was a historian, and I'm sorry I can't remember his name, but he said that human history is the record of interruptions of peace. So when you have a long period of peace, you have very little historical record. When that happens, we call it a golden age, but from our present social understanding, people who are peaceful and not in internal conflict can not very interesting at first. And so it's, I, I remember dating a woman who said that I was not, I wasn't very interesting because I was too predictable. And in a way, I didn't have enough negative surprises for her. Naturally, wow. that didn't work out, Kimberly. But <clears throat> what I came to understand was that she and a lot of women defined interesting men by character problems. 
They were looking for men with certain kinds of character problems. They needed a certain level of conflict in their life, and if I wouldn't give it to them, they'd leave. So with this this <clears throat> fascination, this need for conflict, it, do you, it, it's interesting to me because there in and of itself is this <clears throat> opposite or this duality. Why do we... Conflict, many of the people that I've come in contact with in my life, and I realize that that's not everybody in the world, but it is them and then the people that they know, conflict is uncomfortable, downright painful, and many people avoid conflict in their life, even when they do need to stand up, be brave, courageous, and say what they need to say, or do what they need to do. And at the same time, we don't want to watch a movie unless there's conflict in it. We don't want to date someone unless there's conflict because somehow that's interesting. I find that fascinating. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, in the physical world, where you and I are manifesting right now, it is a duality space. In order to plug in your computer, you have to have two male ends on the plug that go into two female ends in the wall that allow a positive and negative charge to go through, power up your computer, and allow us to do what we're doing right now. Yes. So this technology, and this isn't news, this is everywhere, but this is a comfortable balancing of the pairs of opposites. Now, we could have a problem in the wiring and have a short circuit and bring the whole thing down. This is when we start to have conflict in the pairs of opposites. Humans on the whole have not yet learned how to balance this flow of yin-yang, positive-negative, male-female, light-dark energy And the fact is many people in the so-called spiritual worlds try to deny that duality exists. It exists. It's here for us to master and transcend. But in the meantime, we have to acknowledge reality. (laughs) A lot of this is cultural. Not every culture on the planet is conflict-based. Most of them are. I was going to say, aren't most of them? And Salvatore, I'm going to have you speak up just a little bit, because once okay. again, you know, I I'm technologically challenged here, and so I don't know how to make your mic go up. <laughs> well, well, is this better? That is a lot better. Thank you. Okay, very good. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples, uh, or maybe yeah, I'll give you a couple. One would be. Uh, our Navajo friends, very peaceful. Uh, from the time that I spent with them, it was clear to me that they just did not initiate conflict interpersonally or with neighboring tribes. Now, they had been victims of a lot of it. But if you look at their language, from my understanding of it, what I could understand of it, um, their word for... 
we have a word paper for a substance. Their word for it, if you were to do a literal translation, would be energy in the process of papering at this moment in its transition to other energy forms. So the Navajo language understands and encodes the continuity of matter and energy. Now, English, German, many of the European languages have very rigid separations between nouns and verbs. And so we tend to think of matter and energy as completely separate and different. But E equals MC squared has an inverse of M equals C divided by C squared. So what this is telling us is that energy is matter vibrating at the speed of light squared. It's a vibrational issue. But the inverse of that, Kimberly, tells us that matter is energy with a stepped-down vibration divided by the speed of light squared. So what this has proven in physics is that energy and matter are the same thing along a continuum. The beauty of some languages in this world are that, and Navajo is one of them, is that they have encoded this matter-energy continuum. And when you find a culture that has done that, you will find a conflict, that their conflict levels are much less than it is among those cultures that have a very rigid matter-energy separation. Matter-energy separation, this is my theory, is my speculation. There's no data to support what I'm about to say. Um, okay. It's my observation that the cultures with very rigid non-verb uh, separation tend to be more conflict-oriented. Well, it makes sense. Like, just that last sentence or two that you said in, in just in my body, my own body, it that makes absolute sense to me because of the word separate. <clears throat> right there. You know, just by yes. be, being in a place of separate, it means me and you, yes and no, or actually it's me or you, yes or no, black or white, as opposed to what we what you were saying earlier. And I also know to be truth is that it is it's light and dark it's black and white it's negative and positive not or and there's a space beyond this is just how i would explain it oh i think yes I think you're, you're, you're calling it very nicely and there's a space beyond the separation what we're looking at here point at is that there are cultures with long traditions that do not have this particular separation now I'm going to go to India because we tend to focus a lot around yoga. And in the Sanskrit language, all of the nouns come from root verbs. So if you know the language intimately, then you have the same kind of energy-matter continuum that we're speaking of with the Navajo. And when the English went to India, but the land we call India, at the time the English went there, over 300 years ago to begin their conquest, this subcontinent was 1,500 little nations. And it had been hundreds of years since there had been a civil war or a cross-border war when the British arrived. 
The people we call Indians in these 1,500 little countries had come to a peaceful state and had been there so long, Kimberly, that they had forgotten how to conduct military science. This was why the English were able to conquer them so easily. There was no resistance because it had been so peaceful for so long that they had forgotten how to organize violence. I am so glad. Thank you. Go ahead. My definition of, of military is an organization that is dedicated to organized violence. Right. Well, and I really appreciate you bringing this up again, um, and because it's a it's it's a it's a nice recap from show a couple of shows prior. Well, it was probably about our second show, where you talked about exactly this, and we just can't hear this enough because it it's, it it can be difficult to wrap our minds around when we come from the place of separateness and conflict. I mean, we just we just talked about that, you know, that that we're not going to watch a movie that doesn't have conflict in it. We, we that we have a tendency towards relationships that have some conflict, so that it's interesting in our culture. So, well, having not said all that, conflict involves nice heavy reminder, violence. No, I know that. I know, and and not all conflict is bad. I mean, it's not. We're talking. About, we're not even talking about bad and good. We're at this point. No. However. However, we are talking about that, and I, I, like I said, I appreciate that you're recapping on that there are civilizations that have had very little, if any, of that. And so it's, it not only has it happened, it's possible. Yeah. And it can yeah. happen again. So one of the things that yeah, I And like it can happen again. Here, oh, it's going to. Yeah. It's going to humanity will mature out of this need for conflict. We will. We will grow up. But don't have a teenage girl yet. Um, and it will be a little different for you. I had two teenage boys. And the biggest challenge that I had in my life and that my wife had was to keep them alive till they grew enough brain to survive. And Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the truth. Boys are always, they're always testing themselves, and what I'm trying to say here is that I see humanity as a whole in an adolescent phase. The various conflicts that we see are very similar to what, in many ways, to what I went through with teenage boys. The trick here sure. is can humanity, because we, it is, let's face it, a male-dominated global society. The question is, can these boys who are heavily armed be kept from destroying themselves and the world before they reach adulthood? <laughs> nice this analogy. is the challenge facing us right now. I yeah. mean, there, there's no way that I would have given my 12-year-old son a 45 caliber firearm. Right. He wasn't mature enough to deal with it. 
humanity right. right now, I would put around 17 or 18 on the whole. And this is a very dangerous okay. time in the male adolescent life. There is no concept of consequence. Huge self-centeredness. An incapacity to take another viewpoint into, and I'm not saying this is true of every 17-year-old boy, okay? But it's broadly speaking, when I say this, parents of teenage boys nod when I talk. Uh, and a willingness right. to use violence to get what they want. I could go on and on. But this is where we are collectively, because the key word here is self-centeredness, and it goes back to the sense that you are over there, I'm over here, and it goes back to the word you use, separateness. Mm-hmm. We have, what, what I'm suggesting to you about language here, Kimberly, is that the language that you're born with, this is my suggestion, there is no data, there's no research to back me up. This is just my observation and my experience, that the language that you are born with, your cradle language, sets up the operating system for your mind and sets up the assumption that you're going to largely have about external reality. And not all languages are the same in that way. Arabic, for example, does not have an explicit future or past tense in the way that the Indo-European languages do. If you live in Arabia for a while, you get a completely different sign tense. Wow. So, um, and and I have. So I'm speaking from experience. I'm not talking from a textbook here. So if you grow up in, say, a Navajo community where the language encodes a flow between energy and matter and you realize that a piece of paper is oxidizing, it looks like it's solid, but it's oxidizing. If it's just in the sun, if you throw it in the fire, it's going to change energy. If you put it in water, it will dissolve. It will change energy. If you put it in the ground, it will change energy. If you hold it in the air, it's changing energy. Nothing holds still at a molecular level for an instant. And part of the problem here is that in English, and I believe it's true for German and French and Italian, but we have it in a very big way in English, is an implicit belief in the permanence of nouns. Yeah. If if we believe that nouns are permanent, then are getting locked into, I'm, I'm saying this is a priori to a certain level of conflict. You're saying this is what? That this is a precondition to certain kinds of conflict. Uh-huh. Yeah. Things then become separate. Now, some years ago, I was in an ashram in India, in the lunchroom, taking a meal, and my friends were talking, and I don't remember the specific topic, but the word that was central to it was spiritual. And I thought I might have something to say, but I was just listening. At a certain point, someone asked me what I thought. 
And I suddenly realized, Kimberly, that I could not define spiritual. And I said, wow, okay. you know, I'll have to get back to you because I don't know what spiritual means. And I had to work on this for a little over two years. And now my definition... I so, I so appreciate you. I appreciate you, and you really do. You take that time. Well... You take your time. I, if you're going to do some of this work, you have no choice, Kimberly. That's right. You cannot do it. You cannot I mean, do it in the time it takes to, to finish a commercial and get back to the program. That's right. So the the insight that I had went back to the E equals M C squared. That entered that this material body is in fact energy of a certain density. As is yours that there is an energy in this quantum flux between us. And that what I am thinking of as spiritual is that energetic flow that the different use of the word matrix here, that we are embedded in an energy matrix of unbroken continuity. And while you appear to be in Seattle and I physically appear to be in Squim, in fact, in this energy, we are inseparable. Yeah. And so I don't use the word spiritual very much because it's different in every mind. That's right. But if I use very the much, term... Very much. Yeah. If I use the term, that's what I'm talking about. That field of unbroken continuity that we live and move and have our being within. Yeah. So I think that's fair. And go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say I really appreciate you. taking some time talking about spiritual because you're right that that word is so different for so many different people that just using it you can lose the context of a conversation yes i i very rarely use it in a in in a conversation unless it's with somebody with whom i have defined my term right and you know, if you're following some of my uh, Facebook work, before I uh, have a discussion, I begin by defining terms so that we don't have semantic confusion. It's brilliant. So, it's absolutely so brilliant. This is where, this is, well, that's what the Chinese philosophers did. If two Chinese philosophers were going to have a debate, what they would do, one of them would go to the other's house and they would get settled, they would have tea, and they might spend two years defining their terms. Very often in the process of defining their terms, they were able to come to either an agreement or be very clear on where their disagreement lay. Makes uh, we sense. Use our words, 
Yeah, I'm afraid that in, in the States we use our language quite sloppily. We are almost encouraged to be undisciplined in our communication that way. But going back to the issues here about if spiritual is this another word for this energy matrix that we're in, if we regard our bodies as having a density, your body is not solid. Your body is like a bag of fluid. It right. has a certain density, but it's not solid. Yes. But if we understand that we're all in this energy continuum, and again, I want to reemphasize this is not mystic hoodoo voodoo. We're talking here particle physics. Yeah. If this is true, then if I hurt you, I'm hurting me. Yes. Without a and doubt. If I'm, yes. Yes. And if I'm hurting myself, I'm damaging the entire matrix. Yes. Wow, yes. This, what a, re- this, what a but, responsibility. Yeah. What, yeah, we, yeah, we are is. in charge of vast realms here. We we do not begin to comprehend the yeah. significance of the human incarnation. So one of the things, and I'm going to talk about being self-centered. First of all, I define on my show and to my students, friends, family, a little differently than you do, Salvatore, with self-centered. I when I when I talk about self-centeredness, I'm talking about centered on the self. So taking care of yourself. <laughs> um, I like it. And then, and selfish is when, you know, we walk on other people or we do whatever it is that we have to do. It doesn't matter who's in our way and we get what we want. And that's very, those are very significantly different definitions. And so I want to be clear when I say self-centered here what I mean. So I mean centered on the self. I was wondering if you would be willing to help me out with um, a scenario in my life we could discuss this a little bit. I'm going to keep it really generic because I think that many of the listeners could plug in their own scenario into this in some way, and and, and perhaps that discussion will also help them in some way, or it might at least get that discussion going. And again, I just want to remind everybody, you can contact me at kimtalkradio at gmail.com kimtalkradio at gmail.com and we can have more discussion on this um, because as more people hear this they may have some something to say and I, I would love to hear that um, would you be willing to help me out with that or discuss that with me absolutely okay. yeah okay. What's, what's going on well so you know and, and many of the listeners know but just to be clear I work with a lot of different groups in uh, my work life, what I do for a living. And so I work, you know, with children, with adults. I work in homes. I work in schools. I work in studios. I've worked in doctor's offices. I work everywhere, teaching yoga, health and wellness on some level, concepts, you know, responsibility, um, courage, things like this. And, And so I have many groups that I work with. 
And one of the groups that I work with, I, so I, first I want to say, actually, I enjoy all of my groups. I really do. They all are bringing something to community in some way and are um, uh, in a beneficial way and are um, concerned with, you know, what they do and how they project into the community. And one of the groups that um, I work with, um, 99% of what we what we both uh, believe or what we both know or our value systems, our core values, let's call it that, our core values are in alignment, 100%. The, the 99% is 100% in alignment. There is this one piece with, again, just this one particular group where um, some of the value or, or one of the values that they have and that I have are in conflict. And for me, this value is very significant, very important. And, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to have to take a stand here. You know, I can't have, you know, this value um, be challenged. I can't, I can't work with um, folks that believe in a way that is so different than myself. And I and so I started thinking about how I was going to disconnect. And I have to tell you, it, it was immediately painful, even in my body. My low back, as you know, Salvatore, I've had issues with low back in, in the past, started bothering me. I mean, you, you name it. it. And I felt like I was hitting my head against a brick wall. And then I talked to a friend of mine um, and, who you know, and she also – she reminds me so much of my mother. You would think she was my mother's child. They talk so similarly. But she she said to me, I don't know how you breaking a relationship with people that you have such such synergy with, I don't know how that will help change. I don't know how you can even have a process of healing or, like I said, shift if you walk away. And and then what message have you sent? And my body immediately relaxed because I, I don't I want to be in connection with this group, just like I want with all the other groups that I'm involved in. It's just this one thing. And I guess um I'm 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 asking you for first of all, what what are your thoughts so far? In just what I've explained so far. Well, the first thing that I get is, and I'm having to define this as I go. Um, okay. You have a sense of continuity in that 99%. And somehow you're allowing a sense of conflict to emerge in the 1% where you perceive that as conflict. And it may be a disagreement, and it may be a true conflict. I don't know exactly. Uh But when you talk about leaving, and sometimes, let let me get this really clear. 
we're not talking about illegality we're, in this 1% there's nothing illegal. No. No. Uh is there a financial are is there a financial problem here? I mean are they are they embezzling money or something? Oh no. No. Okay. Nothing so like that. this is okay. It's, so this is It's not like a core uh, value. It's a core personal value. Okay. okay. Um Sometimes, for certain people, walking away can really emphasize a dramatic point. And I'm going back into early years, maybe 40 years ago, when a U.S. Army general resigned over Vietnam. And that really shook things up. Yeah. He was in a place to really shake it up. Question with you would be along the lines of what we call in the yogic world and the Buddhist world, Buddhist world, skill in action. How can you best take a step to resolve? this problem? Will walking away serve the best interests of the largest number of people here? No. Will it make a point and will it be transformative? No. I really don't think that it would. I really don't. Okay, then... Basically, you would be harmed and other people would be harmed by that action of just walking away. Mm-hmm. The next question and, I would you know, have just, would be... Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Would your staying give you a form by words, actions, example, any number of ways? You, have, you know, there's many ways that you can get messages across, would the transformation that you'd like to see be best facilitated by you staying or by you going? I definitely think by staying. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm having my own, you know, ahas in that um, it w- it's a... I think it's that knee-jerk reaction, you know, or you know, where where I I I just I I have felt like I needed to take such a stand and be so loud about it, and I'm kind of feeling like in the which happens a lot when you and I talk that I I, I begin my own healing just by those questions that you ask, and I have to tell you, disconnecting. Will not solve the will will not resolve this issue. I know that one hundred percent, and that is why my body mind had such a strong reaction. This is the reaction when you and I have talked in the past that we do want to listen to. This is information. You know, my body is telling me, and and I I often say to my students, um, and I got it from my naturopath. You know, the the body doesn't lie; the mind does. You know, you can try and talk yourself around all this, which my mind was saying, you know, we gotta take a stand. We gotta we gotta do this. Make make some severe action. Do it. 
And my body was saying, no way. It's not okay, and therefore we're even in pain. And you're right. Actually, that question is a good question because there's no way I can make any sort of impact, have any sort of an effect without continuing in relationship with this group. And there's not always one answer to everything here. I want to make that really clear. That we're dealing oh, yeah. with this situation. And there might be another situation that would be best served by leaving. Part of the difficulty I'm going to suggest here comes back to the collective, to the collective unconscious. We Americans, on the whole, like a grand gesture... And we ha- we are extremely violence prone. People who have not lived in other countries that are different, and I'm not talking about tourism. I'm talking about living there. Yeah. Have a hard time believing just how violent we really are. It's and let's define American- violence. Oh, I'm sorry. Define what you mean by violence, because I I know what you mean, but I want to make sure the listeners do, because we're not just talking about, you know, guns and gangs or anything like this. We're talking even on the subtle levels that are actually, oh. they're subtle. We believe them to be subtle. They are still violent, and they still have effect, gross effect. Absolutely. Yep. Um, this would be the projection of... some kind of a desire to harm. So if you were to walk out right now in anger and frustration, which would, I think, be for indignation, I'm just going to suggest, and you can tell me what your feelings here would be, but it's a, I'll show them. Without a doubt, yes. Yes. Without a doubt. Or, and or, a or I'll show the rest. To, yeah. And you want them yeah. to hurt in a way to get their attention. Yep. There are a lot of ways that we have an impact, an emotional impact, or it can take, we could devote an entire hour to the definition of violence. No kidding. Maybe we should. Um, but I, I I actually think we should. It, it goes in, it goes with ahimsa, which is you know something we talk about often, which is without harm. Yeah. But well, yeah, I mean, so we can. But, but just to for the sake of today. Yep. So right. what we have here, it strikes me, is an effort to get attention, and not personal attention, but attention to what you see as a problem and a resolution. Yeah. I use yeah. what we could call violent means. And I'm going to suggest that in a way this isn't you, Kimberly. This isn't you. This is part of the reason you when you were thinking of leaving, you had an internal conflict. Your mind said, We've gotta go and your body's saying, Oh no and so right there you have an internal conflict. If you're yes. going forward with this, 
Then you would have projected that internal conflict into the external field. And very possibly, I don't know the details here, but in these situations, this kind of vigorous, even violent grand gesture can often make things worse. That certainly makes sense. One of the, you know, let the, I'm just going to, I get that the, this is not an evil organization, but I'm going to go to something that uh, the Master Jesus said. He suggested uh, a number of nonviolent, in fact, he was um, the Ahimsa Master, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to going without harm and turn the other cheek and so forth. But one of the things that he said was, resist not evil. And I puzzled over that since I was a young man, or a boy even. How can you not resist evil? Well, you don't buy into it. And I suspect that there were there were times when he resisted evil. Sure. But as a general rule, Remember, he spoke in Aramaic, it got translated into Greek, then it got translated into English, I mean, to Latin, then it got translated into English. Who knows what he said? But resist not evil. What happens with resistance? I'm fond of saying that Arnold Schwarzenegger did not get his physique by lying on a couch reciting positive affirmations. Arnold stopped <laughs> Arnold got his physique by getting up and moving heavy resistance. And so resistance resistance makes us strong. Sometimes the best way to weaken a perceived, underline this, perceived enemy, is to ignore him or her. Say that again. Sometimes the best way to weaken a perceived enemy or an oppositional situation, sometimes the best way is to ignore it. Yeah. But we, we Americans I, I, have... That makes sense. Yeah. You called it a knee-jerk reaction to take a vigorous, confrontive action. When we go to skill in action, Kimberly, it means that we do not always have the same answer for every problem. At this point in the United States, we have one answer for every international problem, and that's military force. Our State Department is supposed to be devoted to diplomacy, and the state has a military arm. It's not enough to have a defense department in the Pentagon. Now we have to have an army connected with the State Department, which is supposed to be dedicated to diplomacy. When you have one answer for every problem, about half the time you're going to have the wrong answer. Yeah. So what we're looking at here with your reaction was not you, Kimberly, this was your cultural conditioning. 
And one of the things that you and I have had many conversations about and are talking about um, on one of your uh, on, on some of your Facebook material too is practice. So when you're in practice of being now, in now, what is my mind doing? What are the fluctuations? And when is my mind quiet? When you're in that constant practice, I think that's why you can hear or one of the ways you can hear so loudly when my body was having that reaction. It, it almost it almost was um, it almost was debilitating. Well, yes. But who are you, Kimberly? At this point, we get down to one of the real core issues of the yogic world. And when I say yeah. yogic world, I include the Buddhists and I include the Sufis. Uh-huh. When you well, that, that's who what I, is speaking? That's what I mean. Who, yeah, who is speaking and, and what is my cultural conditioning? And, and that I want, I guess what I'm trying to do here or what I'm really saying here is that you're not creating an excuse for me. Oh, you're... Well. Um, no, 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 because that is not how you roll <laughs> at all. I can say that 100%. Uh, it's more, it, here is a reason why this arose in Kimberly's consciousness today. Because yeah. I, it, because this is around me all the time, because, and, and I, I want to be also really clear, it wasn't just that I was having the internal conflict, and it wasn't, just me thinking, oh, you're wrong, I'm right. It was, what will what will everyone else think about me if I don't take a stand? So you're again, that's cultural too. You know, it, it would be, and I don't want to say un-American. Maybe it's un, unhuman, but I, I I think I can say un-American for me not to take that stand. This is wrong. Stand up. Say it's wrong. And that that did not actually physically or mentally feel good. It might, under certain circumstances, have been appropriate. There is, I understand. I'm going to deal with two questions here. The question here then becomes one of viveka, discrimination. Looking at the situation and making a skill in action determination of how to work with this. The other, though, what I was starting to get with, and this is how we get to this discrimination, this viveka, has to do with the question of who or what am I? One of the core delusions in the Western world comes from one of the premier Western philosophers, Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am. He did not answer anything. So who is doing this thinking? Who is this I that is thinking? Right. If Who is this? If I were to say to you, I changed my mind, who is this I that has control of the mind that he can change it? 
My wife and I have agreed That's that what? if I have a, a memorial stone, it's going to say Salvatore Zambito, and carved underneath it will be, he changed his mind. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Who is doing this? Yeah. I get my body up, walk out the door. The definition of who we are and who's in charge is really very sloppy in the Western world. I interact with day-to-day, think that they are their body. They think they are their mind. This creates a certain law of their, their, their emotions. This results in a certain lack of control and taking of responsibility. I've dealt through the years with many students who will explain to me that their husband or wife does things that make them angry. My specialty is taking a Socratic approach and ask enough questions until they eventually see that this significant person in their life is doing things. But the person is deciding at some level to have the response that they are. Yes. Yeah, I I I talk to I talk to people very much the same way and and myself. Boy, I mean I can't I can't say it enough just so I hear it. Um in that we are responsible for how we feel. I mean, because it's, it's all the we conditioning. We can help how we feel, but we can help how we think and we can help how we act. So That's right. emotions tend to be kind of autonomic. But just because something yeah. happens that's frustrating to us does not mean that we can just lose control. I can't help how I feel, but I can help how I think and how I act, and I can self-observe. And this problem or this process in yoga world is called viveka, the process of, you know, a process of self-observation, discrimination. But in order to discriminate, we have to have the capacity to look at ourselves. And frankly, I don't know every culture in the world. I know that ours does not promote self-observation and introspection. India has very many cultures, but many of them are very much into introspection and self-knowledge. So a large part of what we have to deal with, when I'm dealing with Dutch people or English people, it's different from dealing with Americans, and nobody's superior here. We're all dealing pretty much with the same stuff. I don't have any Navajo students, never have. But all humans are dealing with sets of problems. Right. And all of us at this point in human evolution are dealing with issues around the pairs of opposites. 
we're dealing with internal conflict. We're dealing with yes. the protection of this conflict into various groups that are clustered around us and that we're part of. Yeah. If we can resolve this internal conflict is the mark of our ability to bring a certain level of resolution to the collective. In 1968, I was living in Chicago, and that was when the very historic Democratic Convention was taking place. And among other things were huge peace marchers, and there was a picture on the front of the Chicago Tribune of a man identified as a peace marcher. He was standing on a large rock. He was shaking his fist at the sky. His face was contorted in rage. And he was identified as a peace demonstrator. Right. In my experience with the peace marchers at that time was that they were making a demand on the U.S. government, you give us peace. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You give us peace. Well, guess and what? we and I think we and can all did. relate so to that. Gonna, yeah. You give me peace. That's I can't right. Be peaceful. Yeah. Well, I said, well, we've got a few more years to go. Is what I said from that. Without so a doubt. This is why with you, starting with myself and then with students like you, I'm always bringing us back to self-observation, personal responsibility. The issues that Patanjali is talking about in the Yoga Sutra, in the Yamas, which he starts with Ahimsa, which is without harm. The next is Satya, truthfulness. The next one is asteya, without theft. Uh-huh. The next one is brahmacharya, brahmacharya, which is continence or, for our needs, we call proper sexual ethics. And then a parigraha, without greed. The goal of these five elements, Kimberly, is not to make us into nice people. These are five practices for self-observation. Our tendency to harmfulness, our tendency to dishonesty, our tendency to theft, not just stealing people's things, but even thoughts, ideas, sexual ethics, energy, proper energy, containment, and greed. All of these are focuses for us to enter into self-observation. At another level, it's a way of reducing karma. Yeah. If we can live a life without harm and without dishonesty and without thieving on various levels, proper energy containment, and if we live this life, then our karma reduces. Yeah. But certain wave action, let's face it, Kimberly, when you're thinking your thought about going in and being confronted, this is a very powerful wave action. Yes, it is. If the definition of yoga is silence in the energy field we call the mind, it is not possible to be a violent person on any level 
and have this silence. This silence is also samadhi. The, the definition of yoga is uh-huh. yoga should have written yorodaha. Yoga is the dissolving of the wave-making action in the energy field we call the mind. When Patanjali puts ahimsa at the beginning, he's dealing with the most gross, the most crude of the vibrations in the energy field we call the mind. Yes. Because one of the things you and I... One of the things you and I have discussed before on on the show and, of course, outside of the show is, you know, practicing that alone. I mean, if you just practice ahimsa every day, every time you think about it, incorporate it into your life, the other yamas tend to be kept in check, if you will. Well, it's not possible to be dishonest. I know. And without harm. All dishonesty is harmful. Right. All thieving is harmful. All all violation of sexual probity, whatever your culture is around it, is harmful. Yes. All greed is harmful. So in a certain sense, the other four are subsets of Ahimsa. But yeah. what we have here is the core concept what I was saying a second ago, yoga is the dissolution, the dissolving, the disappearance of the wave-making interaction, the energy field we call the mind. Jesus called this the peace that passeth all understanding. So, all of these are preparatory. And we have to be just ruthlessly honest with ourselves, Kimberly, in a compassionate way with all of these factors. Yes, and, and it is really, really important that we um, continually check in with that honesty. I actually have been in many of my classes right now and working with people, um, and, and in my own practice, is being honest. That's what I said in the beginning of the show, is um, you know I want you to ask yourself how you're feeling. I want you to take a few deep breaths, see how you're feeling, be honest about that. So we're not, you know, and and sometimes on the show I do I, I say it and sometimes I don't. Today I did not, but it's checking in with, you know, what happens when I check in with how I'm feeling. Do I start to try to change that, or can I just check in? Just what am I feeling? You can't. I don't. It's my experience that you cannot change how you feel directly. Well, I mean, trying to change your mind about how you're feeling, I guess, is more what I'm saying. You know, talking yourself you out of your feelings. Your, you, can, you can move your thoughts around. Mm-hmm. But the feelings themselves are like the weather. Yeah. Any effort to change the feeling moves you into some kind of suppression or denial. This is my experience. The yeah. very process of unbroken witnessing will, in time, change it as a secondary effect, Kimberly. Yeah. To watch it and watch it and watch it, and if you get sick, you get sick. Well, Kimberly, I've gone through processes with myself of finding things within me 
that I had no idea were inside of me. I have literally been sickened by things that I have found that were lurking deep in my subconscious that came to the fore. And I had to deal with them, thank God. But it wasn't easy. Well, and that... And the only thing that worked was to just watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it because there was no way to go in and change it directly. Thank you for that. I And I think we actually should have another show at some point talking about the process of, of meditation, self-inquiry, uh, and, and all, any subset of um, meditation because, you know, of the four stages of meditation, you know, and I've talked about that on the show, you know, the eight limbs of yoga and how much of it has to do with meditation, breathing, yamas and niyamas, that asana is just one. <laughs> and, you know, and we've had this discussion before, but I think we could do a show on just talking about one of the reasons that I think people avoid meditation, avoid even just a pranayama practice, is that when we get really quiet, like you said, these things can arise. And we think we're so oh, yeah. ugly and horrible and, oh, this isn't what meditation's for. And it is exactly for that. Well, at least in the beginning. The, the demons but, arise from the subconscious. A great deal of life, middle class life in the Western world particularly, is designed to keep us in a state of distraction so we do not have to face the demons that are rising in our subconscious. This is the real reason people don't meditate. Yeah. And and, and it's, it's understandable. A problem. Well, yeah, but it's been mm-hmm. a problem in the way that it's taught. Yeah. And so it's this is an essential understanding. Osho was very controversial, but one of the areas where he absolutely had a brilliant insight was how he linked meditation with therapy. And as far as he was concerned, all the real work occurred in meditation. But his body of counselors and therapists he called the garbage men. So people who were having difficulties with demons rising from the unconscious would go and spend time with the therapist using various styles of counseling technique. To clarify that that desire mind area that most people are working in but the idea there was to clear the field so that the real work in meditation could occur so he regarded all of the psychological therapy systems as being a subsidiary support process for the meditation process and his feeling was that The inconclusive element that occurs with so many counseling processes 
he said was because they were not linked to a meditation discipline in tandem. Makes sense to me. So if you want to to you know make a list of anything we you should, want to talk to me about. I would I really first of all I want to say thank you so much for joining me again on the show. Thank you so much for uh chatting with me about my predicament. It it it's it's so helpful to have you ask questions. And because then I'm just asking myself those questions. And I take those questions with me and I, I invite, you know, all the listeners to do the same. You know, asking yourself and let's actually I'm going to have you ask that one question about um bringing when you're bringing your skill to, you know, any any like a predicament like mine. When I is is it going to be a better outcome for me to stay or to go to use my skill set with the group or away from the group. How did you say that again? Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Well, we may have to go back through the the interview, but I believe that it had to do with how will we be best served by yes. I mean, it really does by yeah. whatever yeah. by by the various actions. How will the the large group be benefited the most? Oh, skill and um, motion. The thing we really yeah, skill and motion. We have to get over ourselves. I mean, our egos just love to lash out and be right and be powerful and and be offended. Yes. So getting over ourselves is a a big step here. We need need some T-shirts that say that. I need to get over (laughs) myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, again, I'm so... um, thankful that you could be on the show and yes i think we should do a show on meditation um and just because i there are there's a lot of question around meditation and we kind of barely touched on that today but that could go into seriously its own show if not multiple shows um and i just want to remind you know everybody out there that that you know if you have any ideas for the show or you have questions for Salvatore, you can contact me. And do you have a contact email, Salvatore, if they want to contact you directly? Sure. Salvatore, S-A-L-B-A-T-O-R-E, at Yoga Sutras, one word, lowercase, Y-O-G-A-S-U-T-R-A-S, yogasutras.net. Very nice. So send me some questions. Oh, I think that uh, it would be great, and then you know that might help you decide next time how we how we uh, not conquer how we chat about. I like the word chat. Chat about meditation um, in general, but I think it would also be another show to discuss ahimsa itself or violence, just violence, and what is that. How do we define we'll that? And, and yeah, so thank you again, Salvatore. I, I wish you a wonderful day. I wish all my listeners a wonderful day. And um, remember, oh, go ahead. It's just been great. 
It has been great. And you are so much fun to have on the show. Thank you so much. And to everybody else, remember, practicing peace, always, breathing, taking a moment, then responding. Have a wonderful day. Because I'm happy. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happy.